Amen, amen. This morning we're going to be starting a new series in an Old Testament book, what is known as the fifth gospel, the gospel of the prophet Isaiah. If you've been with us, we've been working our way through different books. We've covered anything from Colossians and Galatians, um, Revelation, the book of Acts. Um, we walked through the book of Hosea, um, and now we come to the prophet Isaiah. And uh, we're going to begin working our way through it. Uh, we'll get to some of the, the time setting and date a little bit. But kind of just so you understand a little bit of how the prophet Isaiah works is is that the prophet of Isaiah is... Um, Kind of going on with those moments. I don't know if you've ever had that where somebody walked up to you and said, well, I have good news and I have bad news. And and you may get the question, which one do you want to hear first? And people often respond, what? Give me the bad news first. That's kind of the book of Isaiah. All right. So if you'll hang with Isaiah, there's going to be some bad news coming. We're going to start out chapter one. There's a lot of bad news. OK. And in, in, in reality, first um, good little bit of his, his book and the writing chapters kind of unfolds that way. But the further you journey with Isaiah, you start to hear more and more good news. And ultimately, he looks forward to this coming kingdom, um, which is this awesome moment of what God's going to do. And I think what you and I are hopefully going to settle in the midst of this is to realize that we are in desperate need of a new kingdom, just like the people back in Isaiah's day were longing for a new kingdom. Right. And so this this hope of what God is going to do. So we're going to pick up Isaiah chapter one, um, the first 23 verses this morning. And we're going to kind of just title it this the right response to national calamity. Right. Corrupt religion and social collapse or social injustice. Right. And if you heard that today and you were thinking about a nation that maybe has experienced some, some national calamity, some corrupt religion and some social collapse or social injustice, what nation might you think of? Us, right? The Estados Unidos, the United States of America. And so I think there's great applicability to the text and Isaiah's treatment of what's happening in that nation that really um, we could look and examine for our own nation. So I hope there's a lot of practicality today in that. So pick up, pick up with me, if you would, Isaiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. We'll kind of set the stage a little bit of where Isaiah is, time, setting, place. Um, let it out. Beginning in verse 1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of, look at, he lists the kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Alright, so here's kind of what we have, big picture that you can just kind of put together really quickly, right? So if he's prophesying during the days of Uzziah, we know that's 740, right? His, his reign was six, 767 to 740. And then Hezekiah, he also is writing, so that's 715. So at the least, you have this period of time from 740 to 715. But we, we know that he off, or, um, that he would have reigned, or he would have written and lived Beyond that time period, right? But we know those are the kings that specifically reigned and that he's writing about. So it kind of sets the time, right? The setting is the southern kingdom of Judah, right? By this point, north and south have already split. Um, and so this is the southern kingdom, Jerusalem as the capital. It's likely that Isaiah lives probably in Jerusalem. We're not sure about that, but it's likely. Um, and so he's going to write also, but kind of the setting that's taking place is that the people of Ju Judah, right, the southern kingdom here, have to decide who they're going to trust in. Because the northern kingdom of Israel has already started to move with alliances with all these other nations. And the problem with Judah is they're starting to follow in that same footsteps. Just prior to um, 
this time of 767, 740, we had another prophet that was on the scene. His name was Jonah. And you remember Jonah went to a people in what city? Do you remember? Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria. The Assyrian army is rising up in the east, and the Assyrians are ruthless people. They are people that when they come to take you captive, they will torture you, they will decapitate you, they will do anything they need to to rule and reign over you. This is a real and serious threat, and it's starting to press on the northern kingdom of Israel, um, Palestine and other areas, and people are starting to figure out, who are you going to be with, right? I mean, kind of that dragon football moment, right? Who are you going to be for? That's kind of what's starting to re- resonate up. And so Isaiah is a prophet that's going to rise up in the midst of this season and begin to prophesy and speak to the people. Look what he says here. I think it's interesting. Beginning there in verse 1. The vision of Isaiah. Right off the forefront, Isaiah is saying, these aren't my words. These aren't my thoughts. This is something that God is doing. And I want you to know that God is getting ready to speak. So as you and I begin to launch into Isaiah, I think we might be reminded of Winston Churchill's words when he said, those who fail to learn from history are doomed what? To repeat it, right? And I think there's a warning here to us as followers. These are God's people. It's a warning to us as followers of God of the danger. If we don't listen and heed these words this morning and in the coming weeks that the Lord wills that we shall continue. And so I want us to look and realize, man, there is a call. God is desiring something from his people. And we're going to start out first with the right response to national calamity. The right response here to national calamity. Look what he says. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. All right, so we have this rendering of of a, a courtroom that encompasses heaven and earth. God's calling everyone as witness. He says, come to this great trial. Listen to what he says. Children I have reared and brought up, but they have what? Rebelled against me. It's a reminder to us as parents that every failure of your child isn't always the result of bad parenting. That every response teachers in your classroom isn't always the result, the fact that you've somehow failed as a teacher. Here is the ultimate perfect parent who has rebellious children. But nonetheless, it is quite appalling from the text that this is God who's rearing children and they have rebelled against Him. Listen to what he says here. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. He says, listen, the ox is faithful to its owner and my people aren't faithful to me. And before you and I began to say, well, I would never be like that. There was a man who also thought that it was Thursday night. Christ is partaking of the final Passover meal with his people, with his disciples. And he's sharing with them that they will all desert him and flee. Brother Todd preached on this a few weeks ago. And you remember everyone said, no, surely not I, Lord. And and then there was one that rose up and he said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison and even unto death with you. And Jesus looked at him, Peter. And he said, I tell you the truth, before the rooster what? Crows, you'll deny me what? Three times. And then in Luke chapter 22, verse 60, it says, while Peter is in the midst of his third denial, in the midst of getting these words out, I do not know the man. The rooster did what? See, that, 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 that rooster was being faithful. This ox here is being faithful. And that's what he's saying. Listen, how ironic it is that the people of God are unfaithful, and yet the beast of the field are faithful to God. 
that that rooster in the barnyard was being faithful. And there is the beloved Peter denying his Lord. So be careful if you hear this this morning and think, that's not me. So did Peter. Verse 4, he says, Ah, sinful nation of people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who, who deal corruptly. The word iniquity is not simply just about sin. It's about a it's about a moral disposition. It's about a character of heart that these people's hearts and lives are not truly for the Lord. There is deep iniquity within them. It's flowing, not just the outward actions that are guilty. It's the inward heart that these outward actions are manifesting. But it's interesting. Look what he says here. He draws some attention to it. I think we need to to maybe just pause for a moment. He again calls them, these are children that I have reared, there in verse 1, but, or verse 2, but he comes further, verse 4, and says, All sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers. I don't know if some translations may even render that seed, but what's happening here is Isaiah saying, listen guys, you remember how this promise of a seed was made to Abraham before he had any children, that he was going to have descendants like the, the sand of the seashore, like the stars in the sky? That's you guys. And yet you all are acting corruptly. You all, he says, listen, you want you to know that corruption is spoiled or ruined. He says, you guys are to be the image bearers of God and you've spoiled it. You've ruined it. You've distorted God's image amongst the nations. And listen, guys, I want you to realize whether you recognize it or not, your sin has spoiled who you were created to be. Your sin has corrupted you, that you are not who God created you to be. And the only way to be restored is to look to Christ. So look what he says to them. He says further there, they've forsaken the Lord. They've despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. He's he's using a lot of imagery there. And look what he says further, verse 5 of Isaiah 1. Again, this is in the midst of national calamity. He's He's talking about the nation as a whole. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? And then look at how he defines them. He says, listen, guys, I want you to know that your whole head is sick. Your whole heart is faint. He says, it's, listen, you may think it's just part of you, but it's from the sole of your foot to the top of your head. He says, listen, stop pretending like your sin isn't that big of a deal. Stop acting like it's not that bad. He says, I want you to know, listen, you're not okay Your sin is affecting you. You think it's not that bad. He says, I want you to know that all of you is sick. All of you is corrupt. Look what he says further to them. He says, there's no soundness in it. There's no soundness in it, but bruises and sores. And then he says here, there are raw wounds. They are not, look what he says, not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. He says, you guys have become guilty of malpractice on yourself. Not only are you struggling in the entirety of you with sin, you're acting like it's not that big a deal. You don't even recognize, right, to quote that old movie, that's merely a flesh wound, right? I mean, bro, listen, you don't understand the situation that you are in, right? I mean, you have raw wounds, literally you have flesh that's exposed and you're not bound up at all. Be careful in the midst of your life. You think it's not that big a deal if you send that text message to that person. You think it's not that big a deal if you watch that on TV anymore. You think it's not that big a deal anymore about your church involvement or your serving. I mean, you just think that these things aren't that big a deal. 
And he says, listen, guys, you don't even recognize the spiritual condition that you are in. And then he picks up there in verse 7 and makes it really clear that he's talking about, again, this, this national, this, this corruption and this collapse of a nation. Your country, says verse 7, lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. He says, you guys are beat and banged up majorly. Yesterday afternoon, or yesterday morning, um, I picked up a, a young man that uh, I've been trying just to disciple, spend time with. And, and we were heading out early in the morning, and we had eaten breakfast at the firehouse, and we were driving that way. And I said, listen, brother, I want to be really straight with you. When it comes to construction, I am a zero. He's like, well, me too. And I said, so don't watch my example, right? And so um, it wasn't early, very long in that we're, we're that the frame's going up and we're there. And I have this problem with, uh, Rick tells me, Rick Edwards tells me, the problem with the reason why I've missed the last 15 nails I'm trying to get in is because I'm not holding it long enough. So I hold the nail a little bit longer and then I hit the wrong nail. And I'm like, right, that's your thumbnail, right? You've been there, right? And so anyway, again, thinking about this getting beat and banged up, right? So I look down before long, I've got bleeding spots coming out. Things are like turning purple, and then we like we wrap the Tyvek around, right? I'm, I'm not even sure I'm using these words right, but anyway, we got the Tyvek around. Is that right? And then we it's the cat nails. That the ones like the big green. I love those. And at that point, Blake or uh, Kyle Milby walks by, and Milby says to me, he says, "Well, Blake, he says you ought to be good now nailing these because you don't have to worry about hitting a stud, right?" And it was true, right? I mean, there's just moments when we're weak, and so I'm talking to this young man on the way out there, and I said, "Listen, all right, this, this young man is very athletically inclined." I said, "Here's what's going to happen today." We're going to show up at the job site, and you and I are, are zeros, right? I'm a zero. He testifies he's also a zero, so I'm not just throwing that on him. And I said, listen, here's what's going to happen, bro. I said, my assumption is today that if we walked out on a basketball court and most of the guys that show up there walked on the court with you, they're going to feel pretty inferior just like we are when we show up. I said, here's what's going to happen, though. The important thing to remember is, using the basketball analogy, which he understands and I understand we could translate, when we show up on the job site today, our job is not to score. Okay, you ever been confused? You thought you were the scorer on the team? Our job is to set screens, block out, and rebound. That might mean push the broom, pick up a nail, whatever, you untie the rope, whatever it is, right? Recognize your role, but see it for what it is. Recognize the truth. Some of you are showing up on the job site, you're climbing up on the, on the, on the scaffolding, you're trying to hang trusses, and you know as much as I do. I'm saying the spiritual analogy with me. You don't recognize, you don't see it. That's what Isaiah is saying. The whole country lies desolate, and you guys think everything's okay. It's not. You've got a spiritual problem. Recognize. See it. Look what he says to them. He says, guys, the daughter of Zion, this is God's daughter, is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. He says, listen, guys, you guys have become like a shack in the desert. You guys are destroyed by robbers. Israel is in need of a Savior. The church is in need of a Savior. You are in need of a Savior. And listen to what he says, verse 9. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have become, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Ray Ortland Jr. is the pastor of Emmanuel Church in Nashville, writes a commentary on Isaiah, and he, he makes a statement on this passage I think was really well written. I want to read it to you. He says, Apart from God's 
preserving grace, we would relive the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. We are what they were. We deserve what they got. That's what God says. And the only reason we're still here is His overruling mercy saving us from ourselves. And that's what's beautiful about the first nine verses of Isaiah. Is that in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2, we have this, this reigning, ruling, Lord of hosts, God of judgment that steps in. And now we come to verse 9. And the God of mercy, the God of salvation steps in. And if you're not careful, we have this tendency to want to make a dichotomy there. That we separate the God of judgment and the God of salvation as two different people. But in fact, the cross ushers us and reminds us that God's judgment and His salvation were met in one man, the God-man, Christ Jesus. That the judgment of our sin and iniquity, our spiritual sickness, was judged fully on the cross that we can receive grace and mercy because He suffered in our place. So here in the opening verses of the prophet Isaiah, we're reminded that the hope of national calamity is Christ. The hope of the United States is Jesus Christ. That's it. Secondly, look what he says here. Not only is there a right response to national calamity, that's to look to the Lord. The second response, a right response, is to corrupt religion. Listen to what's happening, right? He's kind of going big picture, nation as a whole. Now he's starting to look down. He's going to talk about religion secondly. Look what he says here. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Now he said earlier in verse 9, you're like them. Now he's saying you guys are living. You guys are. Listen to what he says here, verse 11. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifice? I'm going to try to just maybe highlight a few of these things. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings, of rams, of the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. And he's going to go on to say all kinds of other offerings and incense and different things in the coming verses. Guys, listen, they had those things that were required by the law. They were doing the things that the word expected them to do, the law that was handed down by Moses. But the problem is it's not the outward working, but it's the inward condition of the heart. You can get the outward things right all day long. You can show up to church, you can serve, you can do this and that. But if your heart's not right, listen to what God says, listen to this. The Irish biblical scholar Alec Moiter, he says three things about this verse 11 that I thought were just literally profound to me. Look what he says here. First one is this. He says, you want to know how God sees all these sacrifices and things of his people? This is what he says. First, he says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifice? He says, literally, they mean nothing. Secondly, look what he says about their sacrifices there. He says, secondly, I have had enough. Literally, they add nothing. So your sacrifices mean nothing and they add nothing. Third, look what he says here. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. So he says, your sacrifices mean nothing. They add nothing and they do nothing. Why? Because God is always concerned with the heart. 
You can get all the other things right outwardly, but if your heart's not right, God says those things mean nothing, they add nothing, and they do nothing. Look what he says to them further. Verse 12. Remember, I told you, you've got to hang with me. It's tough. I know. This is, again, moving from good to bad. Even in the midst of chapter 1, the pendulum's going to swing a little bit. When you come to appear before me, this, this is, hey guys, talking about in our vernacular, when you're coming to church, right? When you're coming to the temple for them. When you come to appear before me, who is required of you this, look what he says here, this trampling of my courts? Guys, God wants more than your weekly church attendance. He wants more than just serving in that area of ministry. Again, if it's not your heart of a response of what He's done for you, it's just outward doing. It's just outward doing. He says, listen guys, and let's be honest with us. How many of us here aren't guilty of that at some point? I mean, I'll be honest, this morning Emily left early. She helped get things ready. And the moment Mama walked out of the house, everything went down. I was like, Trevette, could I get a sock for 500 Have you ever tried to find a sock, right? Could we just brush our teeth? Could someone please get the dog in the cage? I mean, just simple stuff. I mean, have you ever had those moments where you're like, it'd just be easier not to go to church today. And then you realize you're the preacher and that's not well, right? You're like, come on, you've had those moments. Wednesday nights, Sunday nights, you've had those moments of serving in your area of ministry. Let's, let's be honest, we're all guilty of trampling the courts. And so we're riding right there off depot and getting ready to turn left here on uh, Hodgenville coming up toward the GBC. And I said, Jesse, boys, mark this for sure. There will come many Sunday mornings when you will fight with your wives and you will battle with your children and everything will go wrong. And it will be much easier to stay at your casa. And in that moment, if you walk in the flesh, you will stay there or you'll stop serving in that ministry or whatever it is. That's why, boys, we must walk in the power of the Spirit and not the power of the flesh. Are you with me? Because it's so easy, isn't it? All of us are guilty of this. Come on. Be careful. You see this and you think that's about somebody else in the church. This is us. All of us. So listen, guys, he says, I want you to know, look, he says further to them. Verse 13 of Isaiah 1, bring no more vain offerings. Listen how he defines these things. This is, this is rough. He calls them vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. Again, these are all things God's declared. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. I scribbled this down when I thought about verse 14. Religion that does not challenge sin and calls us to examine our hearts and motives before a holy God is what God says that in verse 14, my soul hates. Notice what he says here also in verse 13. He says to them, I cannot endure what? Well, he says, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. He says, these two do not go together. They do not marry. We cannot think that we come and worship all the while having unconfessed and unrepented sin in our lives. God says, I can't endure that kind of worship. Why? Because our sin reveals what we really think about God. Our sin reveals what we really think about God. And so listen, guys, I want to ask right now, this morning, what had greater urgency? You're keeping up the image of right worship or a heart that was right before the Lord? 
Which this morning, I mean, did you want to keep up more the fact that you have the right image, that your family has it together, that everything's good with you? Or the fact that, listen, you have issues in your own life that need to get right? God says, listen, guys, it's not about a solemn assembly and then having iniquity. You must address the sin in your lives. And here's the reminder to us as well. We cannot have enough religion to regulate right behavior. I mean, they've got all the temple. They've got all the sacrifices. They're doing this, 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 and this. Listen, you you can try to fill it up with Sunday night, Wednesday night, Bible study, whatever. But if your heart's not right before the Lord, if you're not coming clean and asking Him continually to change and transform you, guys, right religion will never change the heart of anyone. Do you know that? Church attendance will not change you. There is one thing and one thing only that will change anyone. It is the power of Jesus Christ. Nothing else will change anyone. The Lord convicted me of that and because I was so guilty of just saying when I met someone at Five Star or at the gas station or at Walmart saying, hey, have you been going to church anywhere? No. Well, you really ought to. Going to church isn't going to fix them. Now, that's a right step. But I really need to be talking to them about Jesus. It's Christ they need. That, this, the people of Israel have all the right things. But it's their heart. So it's a reminder, the hope of corrupt religion is Christ. Thirdly, look what he says here. The right response to social collapse or maybe social injustice. Verse 16 of Isaiah 1, he, the prophet declares to them, the Lord speaking again in and through the prophet, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. The call to wash and be, call, and be clean is a call to repentance. It's a change of life, a change of mind, a change of orientation of lifestyle. And there's the beauty of it. Paul talks about that in Titus chapter 3 and tells us where that power comes from. Listen what he says, verse 5 of Titus 3. He saved us, speaking of Christ, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. You're saved. Listen to what he says here. Your salvation is not of your works, of church attendance. It's not for them of going to the temple. It's not of them of all the sacrifices. It's not because you gave enough or you showed up the house yesterday to build it or anything else. Salvation is, look it says, of the Lord's own mercy. You'll never earn it. You'll never do enough housing projects. You'll never show up on Wednesday night enough. You can never drive the bus enough. Guys, please. Just come to rest in what Christ has already done for you. Just rest there. Stop trying to be good enough that somehow God will accept you now because you've done enough good stuff. It'll never happen. It is a work of God's grace and His mercy. Just surrender to it. Look what he says here, though. Back to our connection of washing yourselves and making yourselves clean there in verse 16 of Isaiah 1. Listen to what Paul says further. Verse 5 of Titus 3. By the washing. Again, here we now we have that connection The washing, right? Wash yourselves. See it there? Wash yourselves by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is beautiful. The prophet Isaiah and also the apostle Paul are in harmony. And both of them are saying to us, you can't clean up yourself enough to come to Christ. You can't. Okay, if you're here today and you're thinking, I'll I'll respond to Christ, I'll confess Him as my Lord and Savior when I stop doing this. 
or when I start doing that. No, no, no. Listen, he wants us to know it's a work of God's Holy Spirit to change you from the inside out. Stop waiting to the day when you get good enough to come to God. That's a lie of Satan. The good news is, is Romans 5 and 8 says that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still what? Still sinners, Christ did what? He died for us. Not when you got good enough, but while you were still in the midst of your sin. So listen, this he wants us to know. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that transforms you. And then watch this. This is beautiful, right? Look, he says, verse 16, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. And then look at this. Watch the transformation here. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Notice the order. The transformation of lifestyle is brought by the first coming and being made clean. So the call is not go and do, it's come and be. And when you come and be in Christ, then you will go and do by the power of the Spirit. Are you with me? What a transformation. And again, this is the Old Testament. So it's again, we have this thought, right? There's this guy named Marcion. And he thought that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament were different. Paul and Isaiah are showing us it's one the same testimony. It has always come to the Lord. It's always let Him transform your heart. So from a regenerated or renewed heart by the power of the Spirit, now you can go and do. But again, this call of social collapse, right? We see it in the midst of our culture. So much social injustice. A couple of things. I know time's pressing, so I, I, I want to be brief here. But I want to call to your attention maybe just three things here at this point. Look what he says to them. Remove the evil of your deeds, back in verse 16 of Isaiah 1. From before my eyes, cease to do evil. Literally, so he says, hey, listen, guys, I want you to know, here's what you're called to do. Stop doing evil. Now, it's interesting, back in verse 15, he said, remove the evil of your deeds. See that? Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. He doesn't simply say, listen, guys, we need to just simply confess our sin and move forward. There's also an evil of our deeds. That some of you, maybe like me, have points in your past or your recent this past morning that you have not only some evil deeds, but evil of the deeds. You had some affection on people. You had an effect on people by the way you talked. Maybe some of you have some racism or injustice or things that you passed over in the, in, in, in the past that you need to own up to. You need to maybe go and ask someone for forgiveness. You just say, listen, I was sorry. I, don't, I said that. Man, that, that was evil. That didn't honor the Lord. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Let's cause them. Cease to do evil. Secondly, look what he says to them there. Learn to do good. He says, guys, listen, you've got to learn to do good. It's, it's, it's a new mind, right? It's coming under God's word. Further, third, again, time I'm trying to press, press, press. Look what he says to them further. Seek justice. Seek justice. According to um, verse 23, listen to what he says here again about the seeking of justice. He says, your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice. They do not bring justice to the fatherless and the widows cause and the widows cause does not come to them. Listen, they were called to correct oppression, to seek justice, to bring justice to the fatherless, to plead the widows cause. And they weren't doing it. Why? Because in that culture, those are the easiest people to step on. 
The widows and the orphans were the easiest people to step on. You may be saying, well, Blake, I, listen, I am all about, I, I care about our widows, our shut-ins here at GBC. I, I'm an advocate for orphans. Awesome. Do you have that same desire for African Americans? What about the Hispanics? What about the poor among us? Right? In our culture, those are people that it's often easy to step on or step over. And Isaiah is calling us to do good and seek justice and correct oppression and to speak up for those who don't have a voice or those who are being overrun in our culture and our society. Listen, I'm assuming many of you probably learned this as a kid, but would you share with me the Pledge of Allegiance? Would you share it with me? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Do you mean that last part? With liberty and justice for all? Most of us have been saying it since we were wee little lads or ladettes. Do we mean that? With liberty and justice for all? Isaiah's calling the people of God to live that. So given that there's national calamity, given that there is corrupt religion and social collapse, we might wonder what will God's response be? And then we have some of the most beautiful words, maybe some of the most familiar words of the entire prophecy of Isaiah right here in verse 18 as we close. Isaiah chapter 1. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. The come now, let us reason together. It often can speak of a courtroom decision. And it's as if you and I have been in the midst of this trial. We have realized that we are guilty, that we are sinners, man, that we have we've messed up. We've made like a worship of God become religion. And you and I are called before this judge and these accusations are made. And when we come to the bar, listen to what happens. Listen to what you hear in this moment. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become white like Wool. You walk to the bar before the judge knowing that you're guilty and the verdict comes to you. Free pardon and new life. And you're like, what? It's an offer of mercy and grace. Do you see it? It is an offer of mercy and grace to people in the midst of so much God says, listen, come and reason together. Come and hear. Listen, I know your condition, but my grace and my mercy is more. My offer of forgiveness is more. Come and reason with me. Come and hear this good news. Listen, he says, it's beautiful. Look what he says to them. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Back there in verse, uh, what is it, 14, uh, 15, look, he says, when you, you lift up your hands in prayer, but your hands are full of blood. And he says, listen, I know your hands have blood all over them. Why? Because you're stepping over. You're not thinking about widows and orphans and, and you've got all this injustice and all these things. He says, even though that's the case, I will forgive you. Even though that blood is running all down your hands and there is guilt and shame all over your life, I want you to come and reason with me because I'll make that as white as snow. I'll take you to the cross. Come and let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. Come and hear the good news and the offer of salvation and the forgiveness of all of your sins. 
You see, listen, guys, God's saying enough of the hypocrisy. Come and be clean. You can say you love me, but then you go and neglect your spouse. You can sing, oh, how I love Jesus. But then, children, you're constantly disobeying your parents. You can pray persistently, but man, you're neglecting social injustice. And so God says today to you and I, it's time for a decision. The Lord calls for a decision today. This isn't the pastor like, oh, it's in the sermon. I should call for a decision. No, God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, calls for your decision. Listen to what he says. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Will you be willing and obedient to do what? To come and be washed? Will you just come and own up to it? Just come and say, I'm not clean, God. I have sin. I have junk in my trunk. I have stuff that I'm ashamed of. I have done, right? I had an old preacher once, I heard him say, I'm busted, disgusted, and not to be trusted. Come and just own up to it, Israel. And here to the church of God, come and own up to it. If you're willing and obedient, just come and say, God, clean me. God, transform me. He says, you'll eat the good of the land. There is blessing coming your way. But, again, this call to decision. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. He says, listen, judgment's coming. For the people of of, of Judah, the Assyrians, Babylonians in the near future, they're coming in. The sword is coming to the land. Here's the call, guys. If you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. Listen, I don't know what that means here for America or what that may mean for you personally, but I know ultimately that at the end of your life, there is judgment coming. Hebrews 9 and 27 says that men and women, boys and girls are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. There is a judgment coming. You will be eaten by that sword. But the good news is you have the offer here and now to come and reason and allow your sins to be washed as white as snow. And if you're here in this moment, and you're just thinking, I'm just ready to get out of here to run to lunch or run to my ball game, or get to my book or whatever. I have one last statement to you. Be careful when you rush past this, because the prophet Isaiah says for the mouth of the Lord has what spoken. If you reject these words, you reject not man, a preacher, Billy Graham, or anyone else. You reject the one true living God. The only one who can make peace with you through His Son, Jesus. Reject and refuse Him not today. He's the hope for our nation. He's the hope for your and my religiosity. He's the hope for our social injustice and our lack of acting. The answer is Christ. Today. What will be your decision? Beloved, come and reason with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Christ, I come praying, God, that you would speak, that you have spoken through your word, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of your son. Father, I pray now that all of us will hear those words of verse 18. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though as red as crimson, they shall become white like wool. Father, the only hope of forgiveness for a sinner like me is the name of Jesus Christ and His sacrifice for me. Father, today that is the only hope for any of us. Father, may we not... 
follow in the footsteps of the people of Israel and reject and rebel against our God and the proclamation of His Word. Father, today, may people heed this Word and come to You and cry out for mercy and grace. I love You, Lord. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord, through His Word, has given the invitation today, my beloved. I hope and pray that Your response... We'll cry out to Him. Would you do that this morning? Would you stand, sing, but would you come and just cry out? Maybe your burden for our nation. As you hear the people of Israel struggling, their nation struggling, would you just come and intercede on behalf of the nation, on the rulers and all those authorities? Paul said we are to pray for all of them. Maybe you recognize corrupt religion and you see it in our land and you see some of it in our church. Maybe you see some of it in yourself. Would you just come and cry out to God, change me? God, change us. Maybe the social injustice is is reaching your ears. The things you see, you recognize they're not right, but you've been for far too long silent. Would you just come and repent of that and say, God, I messed up. I'm sorry.